Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Tonight, we have part two of Ripples of Fate. The story so far. Esther Sitch has been brought before Charles Hoffman and has agreed to help him discover the identity of a mysterious woman. But the arcanists and the Union are on the run in Malifaux, and finding her quarry may be more difficult than Essie supposed. I hope you enjoy part two, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Ridley Steamfitters Hall. Join us for a rally this Saturday and stand strong against ongoing guild oppression of our brothers and sisters in Malifaux. Tony Ironsides herself will be the keynote speaker. Union brave, union strong. Essie was released from her cell shortly before eight the next morning. When she stepped outside into the seemingly blinding morning sunlight, he was already waiting for her in a carriage. The door was open, and as she sat down, the carriage lurched into motion at some unseen signal. Good morning, Miss Sitch. Your arm, please. Hoffman held out his hand as Essie looked nervously up at the bulky device held in one of the calipers of his harness. Outside the carriage windows, the spacious streets of downtown clattered past at a steady clip. Essie cautiously held her arm out to Hoffman, and he took it in his hands, turning it wrist side up. This will only sting for a moment, he assured her. What will? Before she could finish her question, his calipers darted down, pressing the bulky device against her arm. There was a sound like a muffled gunshot, and Essie swore in pain surprise. The hell was that? she demanded, jerking her arm back from Hoffman and rubbing at the new bruise on her flesh. Insurance. The calipers rose, folding back above his harness into a less threatening position. The carriage had been customized for him, with a trough in the floor, in place of a rear seat bench in which Hoffman stood in his walking frame. Mechanical clamps had clicked into place to hold it secure, anchoring Hoffman at about the level a seat would have been. It didn't look terribly comfortable, but he didn't seem to mind. The device that I injected into your arm is powered by a small fragment of soulstone. It emits a steady, low-frequency signal that can be tracked by anyone who knows the frequency. Essie glowered at him as she rubbed her hurting arm. Not very trusting, are you? Unfortunately, circumstances have limited my options. His expression was sympathetic. Finding this woman is too important to be left to chance, and your arcanist allies are unlikely to help you if you're wearing a control collar. Wait, so you're taking off the collar? Essie sat up straight, the pain in her arm momentarily forgotten. 
The bulky collar around her neck had been an uncomfortable burden, but it wasn't until she tried to sleep while wearing it that she realized just how much she hated it. Hoffman nodded and motioned for her to lean forward, which she did. He placed his fingers on the device and concentrated, feeling the mechanisms inside it. He willed two of them to push together, turn, and slot into a third, and with a soft click the collar sprung open. Nevertheless, he said, pulling the collar away from Essie's neck, I am trusting that we have enough of an understanding that you will not attempt to electrocute me with your powers. Yeah, we're fine, she reassured him as she rubbed her sore neck. I know you hate the arcanists and all, but I'm a woman of my word. I'll find out who the lady in the clockwork dress is. Hoffman turned to stow the deactivated control collar in one of the carriage's side compartments. You are quite mistaken, Miss Sitch. I respect the arcanist ideology of exploring one's magical talents for the purposes of self-discovery and improvement. It is the criminal applications to which those talents are often applied that I find distasteful. He turned back to her and folded his hands in his lap. Truthfully, I would be taking this query to Victor Ramos himself had he not decided to make himself scarce since these past few weeks. Essie felt her heart leap up into her throat at Ramos' name, but she still managed to feign confusion despite her surprise. Ramos? He's the head of the Union, not the Arcanists. I'm not sure where you're getting your information, Mr. Hoffman, but... He held up a hand, silencing her. Yes, I must be quite mistaken. In any case, I believe we are a few blocks from our destination. I will let you out here and wait for your return. Is that acceptable? The carriage came to a stop and Essie nodded. It might take some time and there's no telling whether anyone here will recognize her or not. It might take a few days of asking around. Hoffman closed his eyes and slowly shook his head. Miss Sitch, we do not have that much time. Please do everything in your power to expedite the process. He reached to the side and opened the carriage door for her. I will have a construct waiting at your former safe house. When you have found her, return there and I shall join you as quickly as I am able. Essie hovered in the doorway of the carriage, looking back over her shoulder at Hoffman. Not a hunter, all right. Not a hunter, he agreed, smiling reassuringly. After she had hopped down and shut the door behind her, Hoffman leaned back in his harness and reached up to rub his temples. Hang in there, Ryle, he murmured, letting his professional facade fall away to reveal the concern and worry underneath. I'm coming for you. I think you heard me, Essie said, placing her hands on the table and leaning forward. My name is Esther Sitch, but you might have heard Essie. Either way, I'm sick and tired of being bounced around like this. The foreman, a small man with thick mutton chops, leaned back in his chair and took a sip from his mug. The bar was union, but there was only a handful of people inside, despite the lateness of the hour. I don't know what to tell you, Miss Sitch. With the guild still set on rounding up everyone with the union card, everyone's gone aground. That goes for the legitimate workers and troublemakers like you. Essie stood back up and ran a frustrated hand through her hair. She had been asking questions and turning over Union rocks for hours without much success. It seemed as if the other arcanists really had gone underground. Heck, that had been her first instinct. If she hadn't been jumped by that hunter, she'd still be in hiding. Look, she pleaded, trying another tactic. I just need to find someone who can identify a member. 
She withdrew the photograph Hoffman had given back to her from her jacket and set it down on the table, using two fingers to slide it in front of the foreman. The guild's looking for her, and she's in a lot of danger, and that's putting other people in danger. I need to find her and get her out the city before they do, or they're going to find out all sorts of stuff about the people at the top that we don't want them to know. The foreman stared at the photograph for a moment, then looked back to Essie as he slid it back across the table. Look, I didn't say anything, he began, glancing around the nearly empty bar to make certain that nobody was listening in. But maybe you heard that Elliot Rosser up in Ridley might know something. Someone looking for him would do well to ask around the steamfitters hall in the smelt district. Essie's shoulders slumped in relief. Thank you so much. I owe you one. The foreman shook his head and raised his mug to finish it off. You don't owe me anything, miss. I didn't say a damn word. Ridley was one train ticket away. From the moment Essie stepped off the train, she could feel the tension in the air. Two cars ahead of her, a group of about a dozen guild guard had started to disembark from the train, only to find Ridley's citizenry waiting for them with thrown bottles, brandished pipes, and loud shouting. Essie adjusted the collar of her jacket to shield her face, and slipped away just as the guardsmen began to retreat back into the train. She was surprised to see so many Union people walking the streets of Ridley, but as she made her way to the smelt district, it began to make more sense. The sides of the buildings were plastered with pro-Union propaganda and flyers, some of them less subtle than others. Many of them were the same ones she had seen all across Malifaux in the past, but some of the newer flyers depicted a tough-looking black woman with raised fists, almost like a trained boxer. Union brave, Union strong, one proclaimed. Strong like Ironsides, read another. It didn't take a genius to figure out where most of the Union's people had fled in the wake of the Guild's roundups. When she arrived at the Steamfitters Hall, Essie pushed through the crowd gathered outside and toward the building, only to be cut off by a blonde man with a full beard. Steamfitters only. Essie dug in her jacket for her Union card and held it up for him to see. Esther Sitch, I'm first class. Do you know where I can find Elliot Rosser? The blonde man looked the card over and stepped aside to let her pass. Third door back on the right, ma'am. Glad to see the guild hasn't snatched you up yet. She mumbled a half-hearted agreement and continued into the building. Elliot Rosser turned out to be a tall man with a heavy belly and a series of chins hidden under the brown fur of his beard. He had been working on reconstructing some sort of soulstone engine in a room that looked like a workshop. But after she had introduced herself, he clasped her hand in a firm handshake. Welcome to Ridley. You must not come through these parts much, huh? No, she admitted, shaking her head. I've ridden the train through a few times, but mostly I keep to the city. Nothing wrong with that, Brosser said, chuckling. Bad times down there from what we're hearing. The guild's going to have a hard time cracking Ridley open, though. We've got recruiting stations all across the city. Plenty of people that aren't happy with these roundups and looking to fight back any way they can. Essie nodded as she looked around the room. Yeah, about that. I heard that you're the person to talk to about putting a name to a face. Rosser was immediately on guard. Might be, might not be. Depends who's asking. In response, Essie held out her hand and splayed her fingers, letting electric sparks dance between them. Let's just say I'm someone in the know. He whistled at the demonstration of magical power. That's good enough for me. 
What do you need? She produced the photograph and handed it over to him, but after a moment of looking it over, he shook his head and handed it back. Nobody I recognize. Want to ask the boss about her? Essie felt her heart skip a beat. He's here. The new boss, Rossa said, correcting her. She's been taking stock of our resources for the past few weeks. If there's anyone who can tell an arcanist at a glance, it's her. Rossa led her back out into the hallway, into a side room, around a wooden partition, and down a flight of stairs so narrow that he had to turn side on to fit, and even then his belly scraped against the wall. The stairs led to a crypt-like basement, and after a quick check to make sure they were alone, he struck a match and held it against the rough stone wall, against a chunk of rock that looked like any other. A moment went by, then another, and then a straggly, spidery symbol swam into visibility, as though the match had sweated it out of the stone. There was a grinding sound as the wall swung open to reveal a long stone hallway. He sent her on alone, with only the dim light at the end of the tunnel to guide her forward. She placed her hand against the rough wall and followed it to its end, an enormous vaulted chamber that seemed to have been carved from the stone itself. It was large enough that it could have been the station for any of the guild's biggest trains, and as Essie stood on the staircase overlooking it all, she could hardly believe her eyes. It was lit brighter than day with great clusters of blue-white electric lights, glittering tool racks, and dozens of constructs moving this way and that, carrying heavy metal beams, wooden crates, or objects she was at a loss to give any sort of proper name to. Essie slowly descended the stairs, still in awe at the massive workshop, and nearly had to jump back as a knee-high silver spider construct skittered up to her. It turned its glowing blue eye up toward her, making a whirring sound, and then took a few steps back from her. Do you want me to follow? she asked, and was rewarded with another whirring sound, as the spider construct turned and began clattering forward through the mechanical chaos, weaving back and forth around other larger constructs and stacked crates. Essie did her best to keep up, but it was difficult not to be distracted by the flamboyant machinery around her. At one point, her steps slowed to a stop, and she found herself staring at a disquietingly human-looking steel torso that was hanging by chains from the ceiling. The machine was fitting a crank into a socket in its belly, and as she stared, it paused in its winding to look up at her with blank eyes. Then the spider construct was beside her, poking her thigh with a sharp metal leg, and she was following it once again. It finally came to a stop next to an intimidating blonde woman in a long red jacket. The spider made its whirring sound again, and Anacelia Caris looked up from the machine she was building and pushed her goggles up onto her forehead. Essie Sitch, she called out, setting her welding torch aside as she stepped forward to shake Essie's hand. We had heard that you got picked up. Temporarily, Essie lied, forcing a relieved smile that she didn't feel onto her lips. She had always been uncomfortable around Caris. To her, Victor Ramos was a visionary and a political genius, the sort of man who remade the world in his image regardless of whether or not the world was ready for it. Next to him, Anacelia Caris was little more than an attack dog. I slipped away before they got a collar on me. I guess they didn't know who they were dealing with. Caris just stared at her, and for a moment Essie was sure that she'd seen through her lies. When the blonde raised her hand, Essie flinched, expecting a wave of fire that would incinerate her to ash on the spot.
but instead Karis only adjusted her goggles. Good job of it, staying here in Ridley then. Shaking her head, Essie reached into her jacket and produced a now familiar photograph of the woman in the clockwork dress. No, I'm trying to find this woman. The guild's looking for her, and I'm trying to get to her before they can catch her. Why do they want her? Karis took the photograph and turned it over, frowning slightly. For once Essie didn't have to lie. I have no idea, but it can't be good. The other woman made a vague sound that might have been in agreement, then handed the photograph back to her. Well, she's not one of ours, but she's done some work for us in the past. Freikorps, from what I remember. You'd probably have better luck talking to Von Schill about it. Thank you, I'll do that. She tucked the photograph back into place and started walking away, only to be stopped in her tracks by Karis' voice, calling out after her. Watch out for the guild, Sitch. They've got spies everywhere these days. Essie glanced back over her shoulder, heart pounding in her chest. But Karis had already pulled her goggles back over her eyes and turned back to her welding project. Not wanting to tempt fate any more than she already had, Essie hurried back the way she came. The workshop was far less entrancing this time around. I'll be honest, Essie said, looking around the room. This wasn't exactly what I expected. She had slept on the train ride back to Malifaux City, and had spent the morning hunting down a Freikorps agent and arranging a meeting. When she had shown the photograph of the woman in the clockwork dress to the agent, however, he had dropped it like it was hot. He claimed that the questions she was asking were above his pay grade, and that she would have to speak with someone higher up the chain of command than him to get the answers she wanted. That had led to a somewhat terrifying blindfolded walk through the quarantine zone alongside the recruiter, who made certain to impress upon her multiple times just how rarely outsiders were allowed to visit the Freikorps compound. At one point she heard distant gunfire, and her escort grabbed her arm, forcing her into a crouch and bidding her to be quiet. She wasn't sure how long had passed before he grabbed her arm and told her to keep moving, but it felt like an hour. Finally, he announced that they had arrived and removed her blindfold, revealing a fortified compound comprised of blocky, multi-story buildings in a rough rectangle. The centre of the complex was an open field, and as the agent marched her past it, she saw and heard dozens of men and women in the distinctive armour of the Freikorps practising their marksmanship on captive zombies. The stench of gunpowder hung in the air almost as heavily as the powdery dust that seemed to be everywhere, and she was glad when they finally entered one of the buildings. Now she was seated in a completely typical office, complete with file cabinets and a diploma on the wall from some Earthside university. Seated across from her, on the other side of the room's large knotwood desk, was a dark-haired woman wearing spectacles with her hair pulled back into a prim and tidy bun. It was impossible not to notice her resemblance to the woman in the photograph. I had a Gatling gun hanging on the wall, but they took it away, the woman joked, smiling in the manner of a polite bureaucrat. Hannah Lovelace, I am the chief archivist here. She paused just long enough to get Essie's name. I'm told that you've been asking about my sister. It would certainly seem so, Essie said as she placed the photograph on the desk. I've been told that she's one of the Fry Corps, but when I mentioned it to your man, well... She motioned to the room around them as if to say, here we are. Hannah glanced down at the photograph, sighed and climbed to her feet. Care for a drink? Essie sat up a bit straighter. Bourbon if you have it. 
She poured a generous amount of the amber liquid into each glass, handed one back to Essie, and then reclaimed her seat. I never had a taste for the stuff until I attended university in Oxford. I apologize for the dust. It gets everywhere around here. Essie was already halfway through her drink. Hmm, nothing to worry about. Good stuff. She licked her lips, then lowered the cup into her lap. So, your sister? Hannah stalled by taking a long sip of her own, then swirled the remaining whiskey in her cup for a few silent moments longer. While my sister Anna is technically on the active member duty roster, she has, let us say, fallen from grace. I do not expect her to return to the compound anytime soon, so if you're looking for her, her eyebrows raised in curiosity, presumably as a matter of revenge? No, nothing like that, Essie assured her, shaking her head. I'm just a middleman for someone else. Oh? Hannah leaned back in her chair. Who might that be? Essie unconsciously rubbed at the bruise in her arm where Hoffman had implanted his tracking device. Ah, uh, I would rather not say, Miss Lovelace. It's sort of a confidential situation. May I remind you, Miss Sitch, that you're in the middle of the quarantine zone, surrounded by a great many heavily armed men and women who have, on multiple occasions, killed people simply because I asked it of them. She took another sip from her drink as she watched the other woman. That is a very good point, Essie conceded with a nervous laugh. Charles Hoffman. He snatched me out of prison and set me after her like one of his hunter constructs. I don't have any love for the guild, but, well, frankly, it was either this or the noose. Hoffman? Hannah pressed her free hand to her face and took a deep breath, releasing it in a sigh of frustration. She did something to him, didn't she? I'm... Not sure, ma'am. Given her previous comments about the mercenary army outside, Essie felt that it was in her best interest to be as respectful as possible to the mercenary leader. I don't have much in the way of details, and I don't think he does either. Until I walked into this office, that photograph and a tenuous connection to the Fry Corps were the only leads I had. You'd be wise to stay out of this one if you can, Hannah warned her. My sister is convinced that Ryle Hoffman stole her research back when they were in university together. I have no idea whether it actually happened, or if Anna was just trying to discredit someone she saw as a rival. But either way, the administration sided with Ryle Hoffman, and Anna was expelled. She's been nursing a grudge ever since. Nessie turned her half-filled glass in her hands. I don't understand. Ryle Hoffman. Charles' older brother. He died coming through the breach. Well, it must have been four years ago by now. It was in all the papers, even all the way back in Oxford. She shook her head. Terrible shame. The man was a genius. I'm told that back in England they declared a day of national mourning when they found it. That can't be true. Essie blinked. How did Anna take the news? Hannah shrugged. I have no idea. By that time we were well and properly estranged after... She shook her head. Some family business that isn't relevant to the matter at hand. But if Anna's in Malifaux and a Hoffman is involved... Essie nodded dutifully. I just want to give him what he wants and forget about this entire business. Sensing that her meeting was coming to a close, she took the opportunity to finish off the last of her bourbon. I hate to ask, but do you have some way I can get in touch with Anna? Maybe I can warn her away from the city until Hoffman gives up on her. 
or tell Charles Hoffman where he can find her so he can slap her in chains and throw her into the darkest pit of the guild's dungeons? Essie started to protest, but Hannah cut her off before she could start. Frankly, that is the option I prefer. My sister is dangerous, as few others ever hope to be. Hannah finished her drink, then set the glass back down on her desk and stood. My sister's last paying assignment was with a resurrectionist. The deal was arranged through a talking vulture of all things, so I cannot give you any more information than that. She fixed Essie with a meaningful stare. I hope that stresses just how little you want to be involved in this matter. Essie stood as well. Yes, Mum. Thank you for your time, Mum. I'll have someone show you out. Hannah walked around the desk and opened the door for her. Oh, and Miss Sitch? She paused halfway through the door. Yes? Tell Mr. Hoffman that if my sister ends up in the darkest guild cell he can find for her, I will personally ensure he receives a hefty discount the next time he wishes to employ the Fry Corps. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for part three of Ripples of Fate 